Media Masters with Paul Blanchard. Welcome to Media Masters, a series of one-to-one interviews with people at the top of the media game. Today I'm in Lower Manhattan at the offices of New York Media with CEO Pam Wasserstein, whose publications include New York Magazine, Vulture and TheCut.com. Pam's wide-ranging career has taken her through private equity, corporate law and the company behind the Tribeca Film Festival before starting her role at the top of one of the most prestigious media companies in New York. Pam has been responsible for overseeing a growth in digital sales at New York Magazine and spearheading its online expansion whilst retaining its core values. Pam, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So you took over New York Media in May last year. How is it going so far? Well, it's been exciting times. Um, Obviously, we uh, started during an election year, um, and now we're early in the Trump administration. So it's an invigorating time for journalists, for sure, for news. At the same time, we've had a lot of growth. A number of our brands, our political coverage, and then also our women's site, The Cut, our entertainment site, Vulture. Uh, We just launched a few months ago um, something called The Strategist, which is... um, an internet shopping's recommendation site that plays into the heritage of New York Magazine doing service journalism and now deploying those skills to the digital shopping world. And that that seems to be going really well. So it, it's certainly an interesting and exciting time to be in this business. I can imagine. What was it like moving from co-chair in a kind of strategic role of the board into a more direct managerial CEO role? Uh, it, you know, it's funny, you, as a, a board member, which I'd been for a number of years, you, you think you know the business well, and then you, when you actually step in into a day-to-day role, everything is a little bit different. Not everything, but things can be a little bit different than you expect, for sure. After your father passed away in 2009, there was speculation that the family might move away from the publishing business. What made you kind of get stuck in and, and stay loyal to it? After my dad passed away, we um, looked at all our investments um, and assessed you know, what we were doing. And in many cases, diversified, sold things. But New York, New York Media was one that we really uh, believed in, were excited about, and had a plan for. And so uh, we decided to hold on to it and continue to invest and grow the business. And obviously running a number of traditional media brands with the heritage of New York Magazine, but also trying to take advantage of the opportunities that digital brings. How are you meeting that challenge? The company invested early in digital, and it was pretty fearless about Treating it as a as a new medium for um, for journalism and blogging, and not not viewing it as a place to replicate a print experience, um, and I think that 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 attitude where we've sort of taken the the DNA of our our voice, um, but uh, applied it to a new medium in ways appropriate for that medium has has really helped us, you know, navigate um, changes in the industry and create products that people across different platforms. So, you know, there there's a common thread through everything we do and certainly a common editorial voice through everything we do. But as we've moved to um, new platforms and new brands, we're also aware of, you know, for example, that our Vulture's Snapchat Discover um, channel will be different and appropriate for Snapchat and different than something that New York Magazine might produce. Do you see yourself as a digital operation, first and foremost, that happens to run some 
print magazines as well. In your mind's eye, if you think of an average reader of, of New York magazine, mm-hmm. do you see them reading it online or do you see them reading it in print? Well, empirically, the um, the audience is much more, you know, is much bigger digitally than in print, for sure. At the same time, New York magazine is, is you know, New York is one of the greatest brands in the world, right? And Long-time we're very proud of that. And fan. Of that heritage. So I, I'd say it's a mix. Most of our business growth has been on the digital side. So as I, I've settled into this role, I've tended to spend most of my time on growth areas, new things, um, sometimes problems as well. Like those tend to be the categories that occupy most of my focus. So um, in terms of new opportunities and growth, most of that's been digital. And do you think print ultimately is in long-term decline? For example, we had Jim in Poker on this podcast recently. He's the editor-in-chief of Newsweek well, until a couple of weeks ago. And he said that he views the paper version of Newsweek as a kind of physical banner ad on the newsstand for the website. Mm. He, uh, and even though his focus was growth online, if that meant ultimately that the magazine might die a death uh, for a second time in print, he, he wouldn't be bothered. Do you ever see um, a scenario where New York Magazine might not be available in print? I do think... Uh, New York Magazine will be in print for the foreseeable future. Uh, we're really proud of the print product, and it resonates well with consumers um, and advertisers. So, thankfully, you know there's a, still a pretty robust business behind it. Um, of course, the trends overall for print have been con- in contraction. And that's something that we're aware of. And I do, to run off um something you said the the print magazine is a, a tangible representation of our of our voice a physical banner ad right exactly um so i, I think that is a, a fair representation of how we think about it as well and for us the cover the print cover and the print experience you know really does sometimes define a cultural moment and it, it really it still retains that power even in this very digital age. Um, so that's something that we're proud of. Let me ask you a couple of controversial questions. Since Donald Trump's election, New York Magazine... Well, there wouldn't is, be any controversial uh, <laughs> questions. What's, what's happening here? <laughs> but since Donald Trump was elected to the White House, New York Magazine has called out his presidency as a surreal exercise in the assertion of immunity from accountability. How does the magazine deal with such a towering New York figure who repulses a lot of New Yorkers? New York Magazine has been covering Donald Trump for 30 years um, and, you know, maybe even the Trump family beyond that. So we we know him really well and in a lot of different contexts. So this historical moment, however we got here, it it's certainly here. played to our strengths. It's played to our areas of expertise. Well, no know. one knows him better. No one knows him better even on the business side and the entertainment area and of course politically and you know we have some of the greatest um in my view i'm biased but in my view greatest political writers out there essayists and reporters and very very actively engaging on the on the question of the trump administration but do you see real danger for publications like yourself in trump's attack on the media in terms of fake news and all the various things he he says He's trying to criticize the media itself almost. Yes, and um, uses language where he describes the media as the enemy. Uh, it's a very shocking position for someone who's president of the United States 
uh, to make statements like that. I mean, does it trouble you as a citizen, but also as a media owner, if I can put it like that? Well, my my hope is that um, this conversation around fake news um, will make people um, think a little more deeply about where they're where they're sourcing their information and how and look and support their trusted trusted voices um, and you know real real journalists fact fact based journalism I mean it shouldn't be a high bar to be a, a fact based publication um, and a fact based source of news and information but um, such is the world that this has become a question. I have a few friends that I, that I speak to, um, and they say that it's it's not a problem with the the coasties, you know, they they're on east and west. It's the people in the middle that uh, that have elected Trump, and there seems to be kind of two different types of language that neither side speaks the language of the other, and that the, the divide is getting wider than ever. Uh, there are a, a lot of divides in our culture right now: racial, ethnic, gender. Um, there, there are a lot of fissures right now in our society. Um, I, I hope that we can um, continue to reach out beyond our core audience um, and also with respect and with fact-based journalism. And then at the same time, serve our core audience um, really well and kind of be the home for people that want to understand and think analytically about everything that is going on in this moment, which, you know, we're, we're now one month in about to the Trump administration and in a way feels like six lifetimes. It does, <laughs> doesn't it? Every single day this, yes. you turn on the news or open the newspaper to say, uh, you know, what, what on earth is going on? For sure. There's a kind of, I don't know about you, but I have a kind of almost morbid fascination with what on earth is going to happen next because you just can't make it up. <laughs> frankly yes. yeah there are some mornings frankly where i wake up and i have i made this up is this is this am i still dreaming real? yes <laughs> is this a, a very 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 strange lucid dream but um now it's this is our reality that we are living in you mentioned there about um your core audience mm-hmm. are you, you're actively exploring ways to better serve your core audience aren't you i noticed that you've been exploring a cable television deal recently and live events and so on do you see some of these diversifications coming to fruition yeah um even let's see live events um we're pretty far along in that and for example bringing our vulture brand to life through a vulture festival and i imagine we'll think about extensions of that as well and live experiences of our other brands. I think for us, um, broadly speaking, our play is not to reach every single person in America. Is We're not after pure scale for the sake of scale. We're looking to have relationships where we are the number one um, content source for a really you know dedicated audience um, and serve those people across a variety of platforms and give them different ways to connect with our brands. So live events are part of that. Membership programs are part of that as well. Potentially developing television, podcasts, you know, all, all these email newsletters, social media, of course. So you have a core audience and from a business point of view, you're going to, to deepen and extend your relationship with that core audience as opposed to widening the audience more generally and reaching out to wholly new people. I think that we haven't tapped the um, number of people that we, we can reach as well. I think that we can continue to grow. But 
I just want to make sure that we continue to be a, a truly premium content business where we are producing, you know, we're the best version of ourselves um, and we're not trying to go lowest common denominator for the sake of web traffic because I think long term that dilutes who we are. And so I guess what I was referring to is that sense of like knowing who we are and doing the best job of being us as we can. I was speaking to a friend of mine the other day and he said the problem with a lot of these kind of clickbait driven media uh-huh. brands is they don't have a sticky relationship with their readers. Yeah, clickbait might entice you to click on one or two articles, but you then never go back. And ultimately, the real value is a, is a long term relationship with a reader or uh, you know customer. I, I don't want to be one of, you know, 15 um, articles in a feed where I, I want people to seek us out and have the relationship with us where they're like, oh, we, I really want to hear from the cut on this point, or I really want to hear from New York Magazine or so-and-so, you know, I want to know what Jerry Saltz, art critic there, says about this. In terms of your relationship with your core audience, is the touch point with them across, say, an individual brand, or do you have, a, if you have an average customer or reader, might they touch several brands within the the overall experience? So they might read the cut once, and then the New York Magazine, and and how do you try and promote each brand to the others within the same group? I'd say the the cross promotion is always evolving a little bit. Um, we do syndicate content among our different brands the nymag.com homepage showcases all of our brands and then you can go to a tab that has grub street our food site and you know read that feed the latest news in that feed we have both core audiences it's it's been interesting um and encouraging actually as as in particular vulture and the cut have both grown and been more recognized in the world really um built their own brand identities while it used to be that people would come to Vulture as New York Magazine's culture and entertainment site, now they really just seek out Vulture and they may not even know that it has any association with New York, which I think is fine and great. I mean, I think it, that means that it's built its own audience, which is ultimately our goal for each of our sites. So would the goal for each individual brand within the group to grow its own unique audience whilst also cross-fertilize, cross-promote as yeah, best as possible? exactly. There are... Can, um, audiences that that want the entire mix personally in my reading habits i tend to be that way where i want to read culture and food and politics and but then there are these entertainment super fans right who have absolutely no interest in um trump's america but want to know everything and deep dive into comic book movies and you know we have the home for those people so we, we really serve those passions and as well as the people who more dip into all these areas. Who do you see as your competitors? <laughs> well, because because we are in all these categories, um, in some ways we compete with many, many, many other publishers and um, in other ways we're, we're fairly unique. Let's see, to name a few, certainly the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, those kinds of places. Vox is another portfolio um, with a number of digital brands, as is Gizmodo Group, the Hearst. <laughs> we, we really do kind of compete with all the, the big publishers, you know, Slate, The Atlantic, uh, Condé Nast, Time. Uh, we really do compete with everyone. 
We were speaking with one of our interviewees a, a few months ago, and he was saying that actually he views his competitors now as Netflix and and games on a, on a on the iPad and the iPhone, and not necessarily other media brands per se, because you know most reading is done on the the iPhone or your device, and you know reading stuff, if I can put it as as blindly right. as that, is actually just one of the things that attracts their attention. Yeah, you can think about it more broadly that way. Absolutely, that there's limited attention period and so you were competing with video games and <laughs> television and over the top services and um all of those sure and would you consider expanding some of your brands into wholly new territory i notice you've kind of done some podcasts and you're experimenting with a little bit with video but would you consider like a, a full-blown kind of television channel online or are you are you looking at really kind of bold media initiatives i think Something like that could be an interesting opportunity. You know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Vulture's just gone on Snapchat Discover, for example. Um, We are starting to experiment. We're doing a lot more video content than we used to. And so some form of over-the-top channel might be a possibility. Do you think it's more difficult to run a media business in this day and age than it, say, was 20 or 30 years ago? And I know your father was very successful in business, for example. What did you learn from his management style? (laughs) You know, my father was in business and I learned a lot by copying him. And Uh some things I disagreed with him and I've learned not to do that. And that's that's my way. Well, my father was in the investment banking business, a different business. He, He loved giving advice and kind of learning about a lot of different fields. You know, he worked across... Well, media, industrial, telecom, any really um, through his career, he, he worked across most industries and loved kind of diving into something and then diving into the next different thing. I can imagine that variety was quite exciting. Actually. Yeah, um, I think so. I think he really enjoyed that. And I in this role, you know, I, I get a piece of that as well, um, certainly in the areas that we cover. And then to to be really um Good, I think, in terms of working with brand partners and um, continuing to grow our business. You know, if if you're trying to think about, for example, the fashion and beauty categories, like, well, you have to understand a little bit about the fashion and beauty businesses, right? And then... Well, that would rule me out immediately. (laughs) Right. And then when we're thinking about financial services, okay, well, you have to understand something about the trends there and um, what, you know, what kinds of new products are are exciting in in that industry so i i enjoy that and do you think there's a lot of latent sexism in the media industry still you know you look at newsrooms particularly of newspapers they're still largely male you look at the mm-hmm. boards of many media groups and they're still largely male do people approach you as a kind of female ceo or they'd see you as a ceo uh well i am a female ceo so i'm i'm pretty comfortable with that label but um and i suppose you would have to ask the people who interact with me. <laughs> I'm not sure I can go into somebody's head and understand how they see me. Uh, I think there there aren't so many female CEOs in the media industry. Um, on the other hand, there are even fewer female CEOs in other industries. And you know, in in my in my past, I've I've worked at companies with many fewer women. You know, here um, just in our company. There, we're about 50-50 gender balanced, both across the company and in the senior management team. Um, so those are certainly statistics that I'm proud of. Rightly so. Could we just walk through your, your previous career up until you were doing this? For example, you were very active in the Tribeca Film Festival. I, I started my career as a corporate lawyer, um, doing mostly mergers and acquisitions work. Um, Did you enjoy that? 
I did. Is it like an episode of Dallas or Dynasty from the 80s where you, <laughs> you're constantly dealing with, uh, you know, <laughs> political tensions between warring families behind the scenes and... Uh... Merchants and acquisition. Um, let's see. I was a little young for Dallas in the 80s. And oh, don't I rub never... it in. I loved Dallas in the 80s. It was great. Um, I know. I, I never... Who shot Jr. I mean, I'm familiar with, but I never really like went deep into Dallas in the 80s or even um, L.A. Law, I guess, would be the more. Loved L.A. Law. Yeah. Was it like L.A. Law then? That's the, that's, that's the question. <laughs> yes, uh, no, it was not a lot like L.A. Law. It was very intense and but uh, like a great professional crash course, um, including in strategy and project management and all these kind of skills that I hope I've been able to carry with me throughout my career. So even if today I'm not spending a lot of time marking up legal documents, um, at least I am carrying those skill sets. And I think legal legal training and then legal practice um, does teach you a certain way of thinking. Analytical. analytical. I I trained as a lawyer originally. And it does, it teaches you how to think. That's what I, that's what I took away from my law degree. Yes. The danger is sometimes you can go, um, too much into well on the one hand well on the other hand <laughs> you can almost in in law school you're taught to um you know make all the arguments and then challenge all the arguments and then make all the arguments again right and so um so you can end up with uh, analysis paralysis <laughs> exactly exactly anyway uh after that i worked in private equity on the investment side learned how to build financial models um and was that like an episode of dollars that's gonna be the standard question anywhere in my career have i lived an episode of dallas like neither in my personal nor professional life have i ever lived oh well that means i don't have to ask it again (laughs) um worked in private equity in a funny time period which was in early days of financial crisis, actually, um, starting in 2007, when um, credit markets started to freeze and there weren't banks lending to um, private equity firms, which the traditional model is like you borrow money and buy something and um, operate it better and the PE market is sometimes the first to dry up in terms of an oncoming crash. I know the the Wall Street now is at record highs and a few people are saying that the crash is still going to come. I wonder, did you foresee some trouble coming on the horizon in advance of others? It was, I, I mean, I think it was widely known that suddenly the banks were um, stopping lending and um, there were concerns about um, a bubble. Yes, and then... As as the financial crisis sort of occurred, then we what my role ended up being was more um, working on existing investments, portfolio companies, um, and in our case, we were also um, looking at debt investments because those those were available. What came next then? And then um, I decided that I wanted to do something more um, creative and entrepreneurial in my career. And I thought for half a minute about starting a business, um, decided not to do that and ended up through a a longtime relationship um, speaking with Jane Rosenthal, co-founder of Tribeca Film Festival, about some projects that they were doing there. Originally, I went there um, for a six-month consulting kind of a a position and... um, the project I was working on ended up becoming bigger and then different. And then while I was there and I did have this mergers and acquisitions background when they were looking at new investments, it made sense for me to start helping to analyze those opportunities. Um, so I ended up running corporate development 
um, took investment from Madison Square Garden Company and then launching launching new products, like, for example, a subscription video on demand service called Tribeca Shortlist, which was a joint venture with Lionsgate. So that was kind of the last thing I worked on um, before I came to New York. What's a typical week for you here? There's no typical week. Everyone really. always says that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course, there's no typical week. Um, I've, I've found it very, very valuable, especially because I, you know, have come from these. My background is not directly in publishing. I've found it very valuable. Um, especially, to have that fresh perspective. Well, the fresh perspective, I hope, is a good thing. But also, I was going to say meeting people who are in the industry and, you know, at some of our friendly competitors, um, <laughs> the, the ways that they are innovating. Um, it's always helpful to talk about what's next and what's new and what's challenging for um, other people who may, in their brand positionings, be in very different places. So it's not competitive, competitive. They, we can more like collaborate and exchange notes. Um, and we're, of course, we're an independent company. And I think that may also make it easier for people that we're somewhat competitive with to have a collegial relationship with us. You can be quite agile, can't you, being a private company? You're not kind of under pressure from VC investors and all these kind of things Mm -hmm. that can can sometimes change the direction of of a company in in any sector that it might be in. Yes, it does make our lives easier. (laughs) In some ways, not being either a publicly traded company um, where you have near-term earnings um, expectations or... VC backed as well. How would you describe your management style? How hands on are you? <laughs> I'm pretty hands on and I tend to um, get, well, as I said earlier, um, more hands on with new things where it's not necessarily someone's job right now to be doing something like, for example, developing for TV. So eventually it does become someone's job, but in early days of that, I might be the person who's starting to explore if that could make sense for us. I try to be collaborative. Um, I seek counsel in many places and then uh, at the same time, at some point, uh, try to avoid the lawyer analysis. (laughs) Then you have to decide, don't you? And make decisions, yes. It can be quite lonely sometimes being being a leader of an organization because ultimately the book does stop with you, doesn't it? I feel that pressure, absolutely. I think a lot of people do that. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you deal with that responsibility? Do you, do you have like a, a an exercise regime, or do you have any hobbies? I mean, no. do you get do you get time out of work? <laughs> Let's see. I uh, hobbies the wrong word. Um, I have two young boys, and so in my free time, that's pretty much what I do is hang out with my kids and my husband. <laughs> I, I've been married 15 years and I always say one of my worst nightmares if my wife left me is actually going back on the dating scene because on an <laughs> online website you'd have to you'd have to fill in your, like, your hobbies. I don't have any. I'd have to leave that blank and say, well, I'm completely boring and all I ever do is work. <laughs> that doesn't sound good, does it, on a, on a dating website? Well, except if you love your work, then it's great, actually. I mean, I consider myself so lucky to be doing what I'm doing. It's really... Um, a privilege. That brings me to one of my final questions is, you know, what are the best aspects of this job? What are the what have been the good days so far, the ones that have made you feel most proud and most exciting? What's the bit that gets your adrenaline going part of this job? Well, even, I mean, the stress is also sort of wonderful in the sense that, and the sense of responsibility is sort of wonderful. And, you know, the feeling of caring deeply about something you're doing is very special and not always found in work. Um, 
you know, people find that in a lot of different places in their lives, but um, I've had the opportunity to find that professionally. Um, and so that's, that's really great. So even when it's stressful, I do try to keep in mind that it's also wonderful to be, you know, so emotionally invested in something that, that it does keep you up at night sometimes. In this particular um, historical moment, just to circle back to what you were talking about earlier, it really, um, journalism and being in the news business and in the um, fact-based news business is suddenly, uh, it was always important, for sure. Um, it is being increasingly culturally recognized as important and essential. So being being a part of that um, makes me very proud. And some of the work that we've been doing in journalism and then also in innovating in terms of the way this, that we work with um, brands and partners and think about new forms. Probably until a year ago, we, we really didn't produce very much video, for example. And then um, in connection with a magazine cover story about a project pairing um, bringing together people on different sides of the gun control issue. Um, we did a little documentary film about this this project where all these people with very, very different backgrounds connected to gun control. We had both someone who um, had sold online the gun that killed Trayvon Martin, um, as well as victims of people who had been themselves victims of gun violence, had family members killed, and produced a documentary film about that that just won a national magazine award. Um, so that's something that makes me proud as well. Like when we go into something new and we're really putting our own spin on it and succeeding at that. Do you worry for the future of journalism per se, though? So, for example, if one of your children or a family member said they're starting out their career and they were thinking of going into many different fields in, in life, and one of which was journalism, I mean, you guys are doing incredibly well. You've got a real niche and you're working it well, but there seems to be fewer people in newsrooms than ever. Journalists earn less money than ever. Do you think, I mean, journalism's clearly a noble tradition, but would you? what would you say to a family member that was starting out? I, I don't venture to speculate on what the journalism as a business will look like in you know twenty years, fifteen years, ten years. I I hope that as we are um, valuing journalism and high quality um, journalism now, that that <laughs> that that value will translate to better economics for publishers and for um, journalists and editors. And I tend to be an optimistic person. So I I hope that journalism will be certainly a psychically rewarding profession in the years to come and also an economically rewarding profession. You know, people who do investigative journalism in war zones, I mean, people, journalists put their lives at risk, right? And, real risk, um, real danger. And do some of the most important work in holding, as they say, the powerful to account. Um, and business like ours and our friendly competitors. And also I think we as a society and um, we all need to figure out how to make that work because it's essential. What's been your proudest moment so far? I'm proud of a lot of what we're doing all the time. I think certainly the um, election has really called on new reserves of creativity and endurance and intellect and um, our 
journalists have run hard at it for months and months and months, um, and it's still happening. And they've been really, I think, remarkable. So um, I'm proud of that. And across, you know, we uh, we're covering it in all sorts of ways. Our women's site, The Cut, has gotten very active in the political space, um, and that seems to really resonate with our audiences, which is wonderful. And then, of course, you know, watching journalists like. John Chait, Rebecca Traster, um, Andrew Sullivan writing more and more, Frank Rich, Ed Kilgore, Eric Levitz, Gabe Sherman, Olivia Nutzi. It's it's a really exciting time um, to be doing what we're doing. I'm very proud of that. Last question then. What advice would you give to a person just leaving college now who wants to be the next CEO of New York Media? What should they be doing? Uh, well, the obvious route is to go to law school, become a corporate lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, going to PE. I'm just joking. Run a exactly. film festival. Uh, right. I had a circuitous route uh, for sure. But I, I guess the the skills that I'm I'm finding that I'm drawing on um, more and more are, well, some degree of flexibility. Um, you have to both focus and and then also be very open to new things. Be very open. Um, and be very open to new things. But at some point, we, at the same time, um, need to focus and prioritize and have some analytical rigor around what it is we're spending our time on because, um, you know, we're not we're not venture-funded and we're not a massive company. And so we are very um, comfortable and excited about experimenting, but we, at the same time, can't and won't run every experiment everywhere we have to pick and choose a little bit um so there's that that balance um is something that i'm always striving for well pam it's been an incredible honor and a privilege to spend some time with you i've learned a huge amount i'm incredibly impressed with what you're doing thank you ever so much for your time thank you so much it was really a pleasure a big things media production big things